Welcome, everybody, to the Gate Expectations podcast, where I bring in a weekly guest to talk all things Yu-Gi-Oh! and get to know a little more about each person I talk to. This is the only Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that is run by a full-fledged journalist such as myself. This is episode 13. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out earlier podcasts with guests like Stephen Trifonowski, Jesse Cotton, Team Samurai X1, Doug Zeef, Cody Angeloff, and many more. My guest for this week is a blast from the past. He is one of the most successful Yu-Gi-Oh! teams in history, a multiple SJC and YCS topper, also a Shonen Jump Championship runner-up at the then-biggest Shonen Jump Championship and arguably the best Diamond Dude Turbo player ever. It is Christopher Paravic. Chris, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Thank you, David, for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And, you know, this is a little bit different from uh, what I typically do. I usually have a lot more like recent players that come on. And, uh, but you're a big name that were, it was back in the day now, and I'm having you on. I know you haven't played for several years now, but outside of one thing, which I'll get into later on. But uh, sure. there's a lot of things that have kind of changed over this game. And, you know, you know you've been a really big player then. Uh, have you ever like a, you know, touched base with the game at all at this point in time? Oh, no, no, not, not even a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, I, so I play on dueling book uh, sometimes for that thing. I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. Uh, yep. And I, every once in a while I'll drop in on our rated game uh, like an advanced rated game, uh, probably by accident. And oh man, it is, it is super intimidating. I don't understand anything that's going on right now. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, mean, know, I, I don't know how you guys do it it's just you know there's there's like okay well turn one i'm gonna do a a 30 move comp back in my day like i was heralded for doing like thinking like 12 moves ahead of a play but like nowadays yeah. i think if you have to remember 40 12 move combinations or whatever just <laughs> to get going it's weird i don't get it at all well, well let's let's touch base on that because you as i mentioned before you played Diamond Dude Turbo and had absolutely phenomenal success with that deck. And that's one of those decks where it, it, it can OTK at any point in time, but there's such a wide variety of thought process and, and foresight that you need with that deck in order to play it uh, incredibly effective. And you were the ones that were able to do that. And I love playing that deck. It's one of my favorite decks to play, but you just took it completely over the top. Yeah, I, it was it was definitely uh, my favorite deck too. I think of, of all time, to be honest. Uh, really? At the time, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I gotta understand where we're coming from. There was uh, an event in Saint Saint Louis that I was not able to attend uh, because there was a sneak preview that weekend. I don't, I, I don't remember which which set came out, uh, but that was the first event that three Stratos was legal for. And and I was on this uh, this message board called Project D. Like no nobody knows what this is. It's like so so obscure. Uh, but it was we were talking about oh yeah, Diamond Dude Turbo is gonna come out to America for this one event. Like what should we use? And and I I came up with this list that I really wanted to play. I'd been playing it ever since like in proxies. Like it was the first deck type that like I I proxied Japanese cards to to play. I loved it. It was great. Yep. And then, uh, and then, yeah, St. Louis came around. I wasn't able to play. And then they banned everything. And then they, uh, you know, the next event I played at, which was Houston, uh, which was a star new format. That's when, like, everyone's like, all right, well, the deck is dead. And I was like, well, I'm not really ready to let go of it. So I just gave it a go. And it turned out to work out really well for me. 
Yeah, and I think you had about at least you uh, five uh, Shonen Jump Championships top with it, if I recall correctly. And I know that Mark Glass, in that in that uh, tournament in St. Louis, he was the one who came second place. And then he also kind of helped you, like, propel that deck over the top because I know he won uh, he won Columbus. There are a couple Shonen Jump Championships later on. Yeah, actually, so this is, this is a funny story. Uh, I So first things first, the winner of that event, Carlo Perez, uh, his teammate was a member of that really obscure message board, uh, Project mm-hmm. D, that I was talking about. Like, that's how he got the deck. He won with the deck list that I had provided uh, uh, in St. Louis. And then the next event, which was Houston, uh, like I said, everyone thought the deck was dead. I got second place. I lost to my teammate, Iman, in the finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the following event was Columbus, which is what uh mark glass went to i wound up getting 17th that event oh yep, yep that was awful you know that was top top 16 cut and and he wound up winning it with my deck list like it was it was the exact same deck list so like mm-hmm. he he definitely got that and then in the following event which was montreal uh i think it was round two we just happened to be paired up against each other in like mm-hmm. this epic ddt mirror match that I came out ahead. Uh, so like uh, eventually, actually a lot of people don't know, but eventually uh, Mark Glass became an overdose member, but it was around the time he, he, he stopped playing, but in general, yeah, him and I had a good uh, relationship where, uh, you know, he was able to take my deck and, and bring it across the finish line to a championship. And, and we, we all meet him you know, stayed in contact and, and talked about that deck a lot. Like it was a really good, uh, it was a really good deck for both of us, I think. And I remember a funny little stat fr- from that after you beat uh, Mark Glass in, in round two, that was the first loss that he had in three straight Shonen Jump championships, if I recall correctly. Something around that line. Uh, you, like, killed a st- you killed his, one of his big streaks. Well, yeah, it was definitely his big streak. It couldn't be three, right? Because that would mean that he won two championships. Oh, that's right. Something close uh, to that. Yeah, absent. Yeah, I was gonna say absent of that finals loss that he took at St. Louis. Yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah. That 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 was the first loss. Uh, uh, the first, I guess, regular round loss. Maybe. Yeah, that's the uh, best way to put. It. Yeah, day one loss. Yeah. Right. Day one loss. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which it, it was. It was fun at the time. You know, there's a lot of pressure because I'm. I'm coming. Like everyone. Because it's it's funny because you know I I got second place with Houston and then he took like my exact deck and then won the next event with it and <laughs> and then like everyone's like yeah I'm gonna copy the DDT deck that just won and they're like Chris Provic who so at the time it, I mean nowadays like I'm I'm remembered for it because I kept on playing Diamond Dude but mm-hmm. at the time it was very much like oh I think yeah that's that's Mark Loss's deck right like and it's like, <laughs> Oh no 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 no! Oh. And yeah, and I, I just it was a lot of pressure on me to win that match. I was very very glad that I did. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean it's all fun and games. I mean I, I mean it was a, it was it was a good time. Like I said, it was a really good deck. I love that deck. Uh, and uh, I I it's a completely different from decks that you play now. I guess to the point of how this all started. Yeah, so let's rewind a little bit here for a lot of the players who actually don't understand what Diamond Dude Turtle is, because this was this was a deck that was back in like the mid two thousands that was really played around, and maybe like trailing into like more like the late two thousands. So let's let's explain the deck for everybody out there, so that way they can I can understand it and get up to speed with what does the deck actually do. 
Sure, sure. At the risk of at the risk of boring players who maybe aren't so interested in this, I'll I'll try to keep yeah. this as, as short as I can. Uh, so basically, the deck revolved around reasoning and monster gate, right? And you, uh, uh, you would reasoning into a uh, destiny. So the deck is only has very few monsters: dark magician of chaos, and then destiny hero monsters and elemental hero stratos. And the idea, like people think that the idea of the deck was to summon Diamond Dude and abuse the fact that you've got 20 plus normal spells to get free spells. They had nothing to do with that. That was a complete, you could miss every Diamond Dude effect and the deck still does what it does, which is to say that once you're reasoning a monster gate, you're dumping a bunch of spells to, to you get to your monsters. One of those spells, uh, you know, hopefully is a Divine Sword Phoenix Blade which you can remove from the graveyard, add it to your hand by removing uh, two warriors from your, I mean, two deaths, no, two warriors. There's two warriors. Yeah, give me, it's been a bit. <laughs> so <laughs> two warriors from your graveyard to bring it back to your hand. So not only does it give you a card that you can discard uh, with your other card, like lightning vortex or card destruction or anything like that, but it, it also uh, gives you a remove from play mechanic uh, tied to reasoning and monster gate so and then so you can go for example uh like in the end the final version of the deck i ran wound up running e two e uh hero emergency calls and two reinforcement the army just to grab stratos so you can like grab strat stratos reasoning and a monster gate and uh maybe even plasma if you have enough monsters afford just to dump a bunch of warriors in the graveyard but then use the divine sword wing uh phoenix sword i'm not probably blade yeah, Phoenix Phoenix Blade. Blade. Uh, and and then remove all those guys, and then Dimension Fusion. Really, that's the trick. The Dimension Fusion thing for a game, with and, and, and in particular using uh, Demok and Dimension Fusion to assemble uh, some form of eight thousand life point damage. And in the so, and then in the I'll say that in the Houston version, uh, how you assembled eight thousand was sort of random. But as the deck got fine tuned to the Dad DDT uh, version that came up at, uh, towards the end, that version had it was it was like mathematical uh, uh, beauty right there. Like, cause there were so many combinations that perfectly equaled eight thousand. Uh, but yeah, the trick is the reasoning, Monster Gate, Dimension Fusion, with a core support of Demok and, and Destiny Hero monsters to assemble that damage on the board. Yeah, typically we would use a Dasher and a Diamond Dew to really help as the and the Malicious as the Destiny Hero monsters to kind of fuel that because we could play three triple Destiny draw at the time to speed it up. And then eventually when Phantom of Darkness came out, then we started including a Dark Arm Dragon into the mix and Divine Sword and Fetus Ways all became even more valuable to that deck because it also helped with more uh, graveyard manipulation to be able to summon out Dark Arm Dragon. And it wasn't also and it wasn't affected by uh reasoning or monster gate you would still keep going even if you like milled right. it off the top right right and then to your point uh maybe you, you touched on it there a little bit but the divine sword let let you manipulate the graveyard to control how many darks it not only it's not only just destiny draw and stuff to dump darks it's not just reasoning to dump darks it's also the divine sword lets you control how many darks are in the graveyard for that dark arm dragon but yeah no that's exactly how it worked it was awesome yeah and that deck really kept you on your toes because when you played monster gate or reasoning there was a lot of like invariables that invariables that you couldn't account for until the card was actually played and what the end result was so it really kept you on your toes and you had to think critically oh, yeah. on every single move that you had to make which is what i loved about the deck yeah, it was definitely like, okay, yeah, there's a, you know, 60 per, 66% chance, right, that this is not going to go the way that I want, or like, what do I think, my, what 
what level do I think my opponent is going to call? And, uh, you know, let me plan out contingencies for that. And, you know, I, if I want to, a lot of people would ask, like, do I use D draw or reasoning first? And it's like, well, you know, you got to, you kind of do got to do this mental math in your head. Like how many, how many cards in my deck are monsters? Like how many cards do I expect to dump of those cards? I expect to dump, like how many dimension fusions are there when, if I were to D draw after the, the reasoning or gate resolves, you know, what are the odds that I'm going to draw into the dimension fusion that I'm looking to draw into compared to using it now, blah, 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 blah. It's all to say that <laughs> all of this is a very dynamic sort of character. Like my, it's, it's so funny. Like it's a, it's a one turn kill deck, but I would, I'd always, I'd often always go to time uh, just because I'm taking like 10 minute turns and people were really great about that. Uh, they, I was just like, I need one minute. They're like, yeah, don't worry about it, dude. I totally understand. <laughs> like <whereas laughs> everyone else is just like D draw the, the disc commander and premature disc commander and then set crush go or whatever, like some stratus go. And then it's like, their turns are like 30 seconds. I'm taking like 10 minute turns. And <laughs> Uh, but I, I, thankfully, I don't know if it's because I am who I am, but people were really uh, great about not calling me out on that. That was awful uh, from back in the day. It just took, took so long. It was exhausting. And, and nowadays, I don't know if you've ever watched, but nowadays, like, that's the typical amount of time you would take for a turn nowadays because we're see, we're running, like, you know, f- f- uh, you know, maybe 12-card combo, something like that, that we have to do about, like, 12 15 different moves just to build those certain boards. So DDT, I feel like almost was one of like the originators originators of like the very long first turn play. Yeah. I mean, that's actually, I completely agree with you. And that's also part of why, like, I don't understand at all what's going on now, but, (laughs) but that was another thing that like really intimidated people back in the day. Uh, You got to understand is particularly, so St. Louis happened and very few people actually had the DDT cards, like Stratos, like very few people had that. Uh, The few people who did were trying to do things like, let me use elemental hero wild heart because Sakuretsu was also big back then. So like, Oh, just use a card that gets around traps. Uh, And uh, I'd say that like it was it was so different at, at the time of Houston when when I made that deck uh, that it was so different because people were playing monarchs people were playing gadgets people were playing the the most the the most explosive monster in any deck was Hydrogeton like that's like it's <laughs> it, it's imagine taking Hydrogeton to a deck today like it just doesn't work it's not the kind of thing that's gonna do anything and mm-hmm. and I mean that that's what it felt like at Houston. Like I gambled, like I, I didn't even test the deck the night before. I just kind of made the list and I was like, I was just going to wing it. But when I ran it at Houston, it felt like I was fundamentally playing a different game. And mm-hmm. it, it took all the way up to like dad return before the rest of the format sort of caught up to the speed <laughs> that was present in that deck. And, and it just, it, it's what let me top every other event I went to uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, the entire time I played that deck, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of last minute, we, we know that you kind of had a, a last minute moment here attending uh, a Shona Jump Championship, but that was uh, Costa Mesa where you were the runner up <laughs> to Lazaro Bolito on that one. So uh, run me through the story of what was that whole entire process going from deciding to go to Costa Mesa at the last second? Yeah, so actually, uh, I. I, I had quit. I, I quit on uh, December 2007. I wasn't interested in Yu-Gi-Oh! anymore. I was just kind of like, sorry, friends. Like, I'm doing school now. I want to focus on school. Uh, and I'm also kind of bored with 
the game and the way it's gone because I really love DDT and I couldn't use it anymore. And it was just like everything else, like it, it poisoned my head. Like it just gave me a sense of what it felt to have a truly great deck. And then I didn't want to go back to playing mm -hmm. something ordinary. Uh, so I, like, I, like I said, I put the, put the game behind me and then, you know, Anthony Alvarado, my teammate uh, called me up. He said, yo, they just dropped the new ban list. And guess what? DDT is playable again. And I'm like, <laughs> All right, I guess I'm I guess I'm in. So like I started testing with him, but I didn't really intend to go because California was, you know, that's kind of a commitment in terms of a flight. And at the time I I stopped working uh full time so that I could go back to school. So I was only working part-time and and I just didn't I didn't have money to spend a couple hundred dollars on a trip and I just I, I didn't have any of these cards and all these cards were super expensive. I, you know, back at the time, like magical stone excavation was like a hundred something dollar card. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was just like, if I, I kind of put it out of my mind and then it was um, the day before, I think, I think it could be the day of um, like the, there was a conversation going on about like what it would take for me to come out and play because like they, I, they got the sense from my from my testing with them that ddt was a viable deck but it was still at the point where no one else had had that level of familiarity with it that i had had so they weren't no one else was really more comfortable running ddt than just running dad return so they they there was a question on the table but how, how do you get out here and i talked to a few friends and it turned out that uh you know john williams judge john williams uh you know bless that man uh he, uh, I think, I think it was the day of, to be honest, because I know he was flying out because he was judging the event. I think like I was just talking to him and he and he told me, Chris, you know what? Meet me at the airport right now and I'll buy your flight. And if you do well, you can pay me back. Because also, you know, this was also the 50th Shonen Jump. There was a lot of prize cards on the line. It was going to be a big payday if you did well. And he said, if you do well, you can pay me back. If not, don't worry about it. And that was that was a kindness I'd never known uh, from anyone, if I'm honest. Uh, and, and so he financed my trip out there and I, so I show up at the airport and uh, he buys me a ticket. And uh, I remember like actually somebody tried to steal my luggage at the airport. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. That was a, I, I saw that like in Jason Garvey's report before yeah. that future match happened. There was a, there was someone trying to steal your luggage. There was like there was a strip search. You're able to tackle yep. the guy. I don't know who made that tackle. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, it was even just a just a hectic trip just to even get to Costa oh, yeah. Mesa. And I also because it was all so so last minute. I didn't have a I didn't have a flight until real late at night. I got there, and now I'm picturing it. It's it's funny the things that you remember. I'm picturing landing, and I have my uh flip phone my black flip phone and um i land there and i realize i have no idea where i'm going like this isn't even something i thought of, like cause i i didn't ask my <laughs> teammates what hotel they were at uh and and so i call them up but everyone's like sleeping because it's like one o'clock in the morning or 12 o'clock at night or something, something like that and so i call i want to call jason grabbermeyer i'm like hey man uh where do I go? <laughs> Cause I thought maybe he would know. He did not know. Uh, oh. So like, I'm literally like, I'm walking around town. I also, this is also, I think like pre internet on cell phone days. So like, I'm, yes. there's, there's, there's no taxis going around. There's no Ubers going around. So I'm just walking around my suitcase. I go to a Taco Bell. I'm like, Hey, I don't have a, the, the, the lobby's closed. I'm going through the drive-thru. I'm like, look, I don't have a car, but I'm really dying of thirst. Can I have like a drink? And, and I wound up walking to my hotel uh, in the middle of the night 
Uh, oh. Which was, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you today how I found it, uh, but I was able to find it that night. Uh, and, and I wound up walking from the airport to the hotel. And mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't go to sleep until, I think, like an hour or two before the event started. Uh, so oh, I was, wow. I, I was exhausted. I didn't test uh, that deck against anyone that night. Uh, or, mm-hmm. So, like, it was only, like, you know, testing in the weeks before that, like I had in my mind, I was going to tr- try this thing. Uh, Paul Levitin and and Shane Scurry, they l- loaned me all the cards, um, which was great. Uh, and then uh, I played, I played in the event, and the rest of the I think is sort of interesting. But yeah, to your point, there was a lot of drama going into that event, and I and I owe it all to th- the judge, uh, uh, John Williams. I paid him back after I uh, after I uh, finished uh, the tournament after we sold all those prize cards. Uh, but I just want, like, I, I guess I got to put that out there first and foremost. He, he is, he's an angel. He was, um, I've never known a con- kindness like that before or since. And it was a big gamble that paid off because you were able to get yourself into the finals against Lazaro Bolito. And uh, man, the, the, the testicular fortitude you had in that match. Well, I remember reading it like a while back. I'm like, I can't believe you had like the balls to be able to do what you did. Because so I remember in one of the games, you you lost game one, I believe, and then game two, you looked at your hand, you could have made a play, and you decided in in an OTK format, decided no, go. You just simply passed and let Lazaro go right on you. And Lazaro, sure enough, at the time was like one of the best players in the world. And you know, leaving that on the line for you to just pass and let him come at you was what was going through your mind through that. Yeah, so there's actually uh, that, that's actually a really funny. I, I didn't, I haven't, I haven't thought about this in a while. So forgive me a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> you're jogging my memory as you're talking, and uh, yeah, no, that I don't know if that was game one or game two, but I I do know. First of all, I got two would in those finals. Uh, Lazaro yeah. had uh, first of all, he had amazing draws, but he also like had a good deck, and he and he was a great player. I'm not sure mm-hmm. changing that at all. Uh, but I did feel like it was my time. Like I did feel like, okay, this is the best deck of the the whole event. I can't believe, like I, there were maybe four people playing DDT in that event, right? So it's really weird that you know one of us winds up into the the second place. Uh, and so I really, but I, anyway, I, I felt I've been beating Dad Return all day. <clears throat> I felt very comfortable uh, winning. Um, and in that particular moment, I, I, in time, I mean that uh, people people didn't really have that concept of just passing on your first turn. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made it remarkable. Uh, that's it's something that people, you know, remarked upon for, for a while. They were just like, I can't believe you would just pass your opening turn. But to be honest, uh, I think I had card destruction it or something like that. Or uh, like I was planning to draw a card or something like you don't want to waste a card. You don't want to just activate reasoning and then it hit, for example, Jinzo, and you're like go right because then you open up plays and then you lose the ability to attack with Jinzo. so because i'm going first it didn't make sense to activate anything for one reason or another i don't know if it was card destruction or just my hand was reasonings or something like that but it didn't make sense and so i just passed but like i remember at the time there were people around us and they were just like like it was like a collective gasp going through the crowd it was just like i can't believe you didn't activate anything and i was just like dude, there's nothing that I should be activating. This is the right play. Believe me, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. So no, I didn't, I didn't actually feel like I had a lot of testicular fortitude. I just felt like I was doing a very reasonable thing. Uh, but other people seem to see that a little bit differently. So it's funny that you bring it up like that. <laughs> well, I mean, like the, the, 
your journey just to be able to get there and then just decide to lay it all on the line like that is like I would think that you it would take some sort of like fortitude to be able to make that call. I mean, you you might not see it that way. I'm just saying, at least from a spectator's point of view, especially since you're in like a pressure situation of at the time it was it was over a thousand players. I know that much, which you know kind of seems like normal by comparison, but at the time that was considered like the largest. Uh, ch- Yu-Gi-Oh tournament that had ever happened at that point in time, so right. it, it was just a huge moment for for you. So, how do you go through that uh, that pressure at the time, knowing that like what you had to fight through just to be in that position? Um. Well, I mean, you know, part of this is, I think, early on, not immediately, certainly not immediately, but early on in my Yu-Gi-Oh career, I. Uh, I was able to develop, uh, I think, a really level-headed understanding of what was happening when I played the game or when I played any particular game. And what I mean by that is that uh, you will not win every match you play. There's nothing you can do. Uh, there's, uh, there's, no, there's no deck type in the history of Yu-Gi-Oh that has a 100% win rate across all player levels, across all time, across all meta games, it doesn't exist. So you will lose. And if you can accept that, uh, the only thing, because that part's out of your control, the parts that are in your control are the things that let you maximize your win rates, uh, which is like, you know, you're, you're just making optimal plays, you're making optimal reads, you're convincing your opponent uh, make the most number of mistakes that most have the biggest impact on a match uh, and things like that. If you, if you can do those things, that is what's in your control. And I, uh, from an early point, never sweat the small stuff. I never go into a match at like I, in that finals match. Like I, I mean, sure. I take your word for it that it was a, it was supposed to be a tense moment. Uh, but for me, uh, I, I'd played this match you know, a thousand times. I, I, I've played Lazar, like people don't know it. I, I am, I think in total, I think like I'm four and one against Lazaro in Shonen, mm-hmm. Shonen Jump tournaments. And the one yeah. time he beat me happened to be the finals. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried. I wasn't worried about playing Lazaro. I'm never worried about playing anybody. I'm not worried about playing any particular matchup. Uh, I just, I sit down and I just say to myself, I literally say to myself in my mind, you know, if I, if I ever have an ounce, like an ounce of anxiety, I just say, you know, this, I've done this a thousand times. I'm just going to do what I can to win. And if I can't, so be it. And, uh, but I mean that I, I, I guess I focus on the things that are in my control. And when you do that, I think that the, uh, pressure of the environment sort of just fades into the background. I, I think this is a, a really good right phrase to really kind of sum up what you said is like it's like act like you've been there before and which which you have like that wasn't your first finals that right. wasn't your first top like you've been you've talked numerous numerous amount of times it's almost like you're you're kind of numb to the to the pressure almost at that point in time yeah not not to i mean well just to be clear just numb implies this sort of not feeling it that's different because I do feel it and I do feel like the, like the win is within my grasp and, and I want to win. Uh, so I, I don't know if numb is the right word, but I am definitely not 
negatively impacted by that. I'm not like, I'm not thinking any differently than I am round one. I, I am, mm -hmm. I am on my toes. I am trying to win. I will sleep later. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm in the moment. And I think that's probably the most important thing, not just in finals matches, but in any, in any match to be in the moment. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and just to go off base a little bit, that applies actually to a lot of how to play. I see people like, for example, on the dueling book, um, you know, checking graveyards a lot. Uh, and for me, if I check a graveyard, uh, when I'm in the middle of a game that unless the game has lasted, like, like where there's five cards left in deck and I can't remember the five cards that are in my opponent's deck order. Like unless it's a super long game, like if it's a 20 card deep game, there has never been a game uh, or 99% of games uh, that I, I don't know all the cards in my graveyard and all the cards in my opponent's graveyard without having to look at them. And that's, that's, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have the best memory. I don't have a, I don't, I don't even have a good memory. I am just in the moment. I, know everything that's happened i know why it happened that way um and i i know what to expect based on that etc cetera, etc cetera, because like i said i'm in the moment and i think if you can be in the moment uh completely uh like i said mm -hmm. the other stuff just kind of fades in the background it's not you're not numb to it you're definitely uh you know you're definitely attentive uh to it uh but you're not necessarily affected by it uh or at least negatively affected by it well, I'm glad you're bringing this up because you, when you say attentive, uh, you're a very intelligent person in my regard because we've had some uh, a lot of intelligent conversations outside of Yu-Gi-Oh! And I know that you actually studied to become what you're now an electrical engineer. And that itself requires like a, a fair amount of intelligence to just to be able to get yourself into it and have that kind of career in your life. So I feel like uh, that kind of personality that you have is kind of trans your engineering person, your background, it kind of helps transfer over into the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, even though you kind of did Yu-Gi-Oh before engineering, but you kind of get what I mean though. The skills are, are back and forth and they kind of match each other. Yeah, no, I, I actually, you, you said the thing that I was going to say that actually the Yu-Gi-Oh came first and I don't think I could have been an engineer if I didn't uh, dedicate myself to Yu-Gi-Oh first, or at least, or at least let me put it this way. I, I was a high school dropout. Uh, that's not something that I think most people know. Uh, I dropped out. I actually, I, I didn't care at all about high school. I slept through most of my classes or I skipped classes. I never did homework in all four years of high school. Uh, and I dropped out of my senior year. I just wasn't into it. Um, and, and my tip. So when I say I, I, uh, at, how do I put this? So when I dropped out, it wasn't because of grades, actually. It was because of gym. Uh, it's the stupidest thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, homework was like 20% of my grade. I always had like 80s at all my classes. That wasn't an issue. Like I got hundreds on the test. Even if I slept through the class, that wasn't a problem. It was just I didn't show up to gym and I didn't want to go to summer school for gym. So I was just like, screw this. I'm going to drop out of school and I'll just, I'll get my GD and I'll go to college. And then I wound up not going to college because I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh and like being a mm -hmm. pizza guy and getting super fat. Uh, but uh, I guess, I guess, where was I going with this? My point was that. Uh, we were talking about transferring all the skills of like yeah, uh, so I was of gonna, engineering into Yu-Gi-Oh. When I asked, yeah. Saying. So I was going to say that I never, my point was I never developed good study habits in uh, high school. 
And in Yu-Gi-Oh though, I definitely did. Like that's like when, like I, I would often look at ETCG. I would look at Shriek. I would look at, you know, all the different forums. I would talk to, you know, different uh, cliques. I would talk to Texans. I would talk to Californians. I would talk to Canadians. Uh, and I would, I'd, that's just studying. Like I was studying up on what other people were doing. Uh, and, and I guess what I'm saying is that like that sort of, uh, dedication, persistence, uh, that sort of, you know, assembling, uh, a team of people working together with other people for, uh, around a common goal. These are all skills I never had before Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, and that I was only able to develop because of Yu-Gi-Oh! And then when it was time for me to like put Yu-Gi-Oh! behind me and go to college, uh, it turns out like getting into a study group was super helpful. Uh, it turns out that like, you know, sitting down and doing the work is, was super helpful. Uh, and, uh, all, which is all just to say that Yu-Gi-Oh definitely helped, uh, propel me in life in a way that I don't think, uh, I would have necessarily been inclined to, or at least I would have been too lazy to do, uh, otherwise. Uh, so yeah, no, <laughs> these things do mesh together well, but I think for me personally, uh, it was, it was great that Yu-Gi-Oh came first. You know, and, and I also want to touch up on that a little bit because I also believe that Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, also gave you another set of skills as well to help you like become a better engineer as well. Because I, I would argue that, at least with the decks that you played, uh, playing DDT would also add to your you know, your ingenuity, your adaptation, and your analytical skills to be able to just kind of process everything as you go along. Rather, you know, Because you know, you've got to play it by card by card. You can't just like think out your turn and then just go. You've got to do it as you go along. And that's, that's kind of like what you have to, what I would think uh, you'd have to do in engineering as well. You've got to adapt to the situation and, you know, make the, make the best of whatever you have at your, at available at your disposal. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I don't know how much, I don't know how, how many different ways we can say it or parse it out, but yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, I'd say that though, the one constant throughout my life is I, I have been able to, I have been a uh, a deep thinker, uh, but not necessarily a quick thinker. Uh, so uh, you know, I, DDT works for me, but I'm going to take 10 minute turns. Uh, and, and engineering <laughs> works for me, but I can't have that that drawing or that report done in an hour. Uh, and, yeah. But I I can guarantee my utmost that everything that I commit myself to uh, will be the best possible version of what I'm capable of outputting. Uh, and and that's true in Yu-Gi-Oh. That's true in engineering. Yeah. Well, at least we know that the at the end output is going to be quality. That that's the important part. Yeah. I mean, well, it depends who you ask, but yeah. <laughs> well, I know. So you, I, I I mentioned this at the start of the podcast. Like you guys, you had like a great group of teammates around you. And oh, the best team. team. Was, uh, team overdose. The best team overdose. Yeah, one of the most powerful teams that ever back in the day. I know, like, I, like I can go off those names. We said Shane Curry. We said Paul Levinson. Great, great guys, by the way. And then eventually the Bolitos and Matt Peddle yep. joined you as well. Uh, Rymus Lizzo, great man. I love that guy. Yeah, he's great. Really cool <laughs> person. Yeah, really cool person. Like, you've got all these, like, fantastic teammates at your disposal to kind of help uh, build you up. So what was it like having a, that kind of team around you back then? Because I feel like teams nowadays aren't quite as, like, prevalent or not quite as impactful or like or as fun to be a part of as it used to be back then teams were like all the rage that way back in the oh day. yeah uh i think i believe you i can't i can't really speak to this but i i just oh, when i had that brief stint in 2013 it was like i got some exposure to what the team environment was and i didn't it didn't feel anything like uh what it was back yeah. in you know 
the mid 2000s uh but yeah no so uh okay what can, what could be said about this so i'm shifting in my chair i uh, <laughs> uh my team was bar none the best team i i say that unequivocally uh I, I had, like I said, I, I did my research with other teams. I know, I know Californian teams. I know Texan teams. Uh, uh, the, the Canadians, when they were their, their own team, I knew foreign teams, et cetera. Like I, would, I had my hands in everything back then. And uh, I, I had a good sense of who were the weak points and who were the strong points of any other team. And, and yeah, my team was the best. And for a lot of reasons, uh, but, you know, just to name a few, we not only were we great friends, but we all had this common um, understanding of what it is we were doing. And this sounds so trite and like, of course, of course, you know, Rampage, you know, they all tried to win, right? That's stupid. Like everybody, they're all friends and they all tried to win. But like the thing is, um, it's not enough to, how do I put this? It's not enough to just practice. Uh, and this is something that I, I mean, I've talked about a lot to a lot of people over the years. Um, but, uh, there was a concept. I'd only discovered this concept later. Like I, I, I was never, it was never articulated to me back like, like, like this back then, but, uh, there was a concept called uh, deliberate practice. Uh, I think a guy, uh, Jeffrey Colvin, uh, wrote a book called Talent is Overrated, where he expounded on this, uh, and I'd encourage anyone to check that out. Uh, but basically, deliberate practice is is practicing with intent, uh, which is more than just most people do. Most people, when they play, uh, what they'll do is they'll they'll have they'll load up their bias. So they'll say, "I think this deck is the best deck." And then they'll try try it out, and they play against something else. And you know, maybe they keep playing until they they lose, or maybe just over the course of winning, they will notice a, a weak spot in their deck. They're like, "Oh, this card wasn't as impactful as I thought back then." I'm just going to reference 2005 cards. They might say, like, uh, you know, DD Assailant actually wasn't that impactful. Let me take out DD Assailant. Let me try out Enraged Battle Ox or something like that. And they'll they'll continue with that until they play maybe like a flip control deck i'm, I'm using 2005 because it's the thing that's like most in my mind uh mm-hmm. and then you know flip control they'll, they'll and that's the deck with like mask of darkness uh Tsukiyomi, uh uh solemn judgment it, it was first piloted by mike rosenberg uh way way back when mm-hmm. uh and then you can imagine like okay yeah after i lose to that i'm gonna start side decking mystic swordsman level two uh and then so and then maybe they lose a second time and they're like, okay, you know, two mystic swordsman level two, or maybe they lose a third time, like sometime down the road. And they're like, I need some extra dust tornadoes or Royal decree, or maybe they just pick up flip control for themselves just to see what it's about. See if it's as good as, you know, they just lost to, and then they'll play some other people, uh, uh, with flip control. And I guess my point is that this thing that I'm describing is, what, and it's something I think we all have an intuitive understanding of, even if we don't explicitly say, it is the flow of the metagame. And uh, if you are just playing to play and fine-tuning as you go, you are just going with the flow of the metagame. And the, the great thing about my team is that we were able to uh, anticipate what the metagame would become and counter that at a time when no one else was doing that at, at that time mm-hmm. it was just 
you know, what won the last event? And then I think people are going to hop on that a little bit more. And then, uh, or, or, you know, let's see what magic is there to that thing that just won. And let me try that a little bit. But it, it, it made us so successful to be able to project out, test for the future, and and also set metagame trends. Like it was also, like we did things, we did things, I don't know, I don't know who does them now, uh, but, you know, before Gladiator Beasts were a thing, we bought every test tiger we could buy. Uh, and that kind of trick of and knowing that Gladiator Beasts were going to be a thing because we knew it was good and we were going to use it and then buying these cards also helped finance this as a hobby. So like we were... We were thinking about, you know, how to make money from this, how to win at this, uh, how to uh, anticipate what other people are using, get feedback from other people about what other things are good. Uh, and also, I think most critically, we were really great. We had a natural affinity for knowing what worked and knowing what didn't. And also, like, opening our eyes up to other things that other people weren't considering altogether it was like every major component of what goes into like a having a great team like at least at least one of us had that covered like paul and shane you know they had cards for everybody uh i was i kept my eyes on what everyone else was using uh you know anthony and iman would you know test these like cookie cutter or adam and iman would test like the most cookie cutter decks and say like oh these are this is the optimal build of this and anthony would look at it and like here's how i can poke holes in this and i would say like oh this doesn't work etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. and we collaborate and we share that like freely with each other and when we play against each other we're not even trying necessarily to win we're just trying to learn uh i think we we pioneer like it's kind of it's a trope now it's it's, it's so blase but i you know I, I, before us, I don't know anyone that was like playing open-handed. Like we would, we would, we would play open-handed in front of a group of people, and then we would, we would say like, "Oh, what would you do in this spot? Oh, this is what I would do in this spot." But why? And or then like if somebody picked up on a read, it was like, "Oh, you should read that this is blah 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 because he did blah 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 here and here." I was like, "Oh, okay." And then we internalize all those. It's not just enough to just say it, but we internalize all that. And uh, I mean, I'm rambling for a bit, but it's just to say. Everything for me, for me, everything that I would hope or everything that I would, I would expect a good team to have, all every characteristic, I thought we had. And we had it in abundance and it made us it made us a great team. It, it, it made us all better than any one of us could have been on our own. Uh, and and it, it just having that, being able to lean on each other, trust each other uh, and, and grow with and from each other. Uh, that is a, a remarkable lightning in a bottle type of, of assemblage of teammates. Uh, I, I just, I'm very blessed. I feel very blessed. Even today, even though like most of them don't play Yugi anymore, I'm blessed to have known these people at that point in my life. You know, I have a really interesting uh, indirect anecdote with, with your team uh, around that time because um, I was in Vietnam at, at one point, it was like 12 years ago. And this is me going off my memory. Sure. Um, I remember I was in Vietnam and I was just watching it. Light of Destruction hadn't have come out yet at that point. And you guys went to, I believe it was uh, Shonen Jump Championship Minneapolis. And that's where Paul won the whole event with Gladiator. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you, I'm pretty sure you topped as well. Yeah, I, did. uh, I didn't know like, I, I didn't know like where you got kicked out, knocked out, but uh, I know you topped that event. And I remember Paul lost round one to a guy 
who only had two Dark Arm Dragon in his deck, and he got so mad that I'm pretty sure he threw his deck <laughs> yeah. against, the, against the wall and said, like, this deck is trash. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he, he runs the table and wins every single match <laughs> afterwards and wins the event. And that was the first time that we actually saw Gladiator Beast start to take over the format because everyone still thought at the time that... Uh, uh, the Dark Arm Return was the best deck at the time because I know we were at that uh, YC the Shonen Jump Championship together when uh, Jerry Wang won it with Columbus, yeah. and then the the Minneapolis was the one afterwards, and I was in Vietnam. I'm like, oh my god, Gladiator Beast won! Like, what the heck happened to me? Yeah, no, that I was a no, ahead. no. I, I'm I remember that very vividly. I love ball balls, so hilarious. Uh, I remember when that happened. Uh, I remember even thinking at the time, by the way, that Gladiator Beasts were trash. Like we had bought up all the Test Tigers by then, but we weren't expecting this to be actually good until Geyseras came out. Uh, but we were doing it like yeah. kind of like a dry run, Paul. So didn't have like another deck in mind to try. But more importantly, I think so. Geyser, I mean, uh, Gladiator Beasts were. They were a deck, but really the thing that we were testing that weekend was Shadow Imprisoning Mirror. And Glider Beast just happened to be the engine that could like not be negatively affected by that. Uh, he also he also ran three darks with, uh, or maybe even two darks with Crush Card. I would think it was like Spirit Reaper and Sangin or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, no one thought that his deck was going to be the one out of all of us to to wind up winning. But uh, but yeah, no, that was that was a really. That was a really fun event. I I did top. I lost to I think it was uh, Eric Blum uh, because in game I don't know if it was two or three. I Demok was the last card in my deck. I think I like reason or monster gated when oh. when I had fifteen cards in deck or twenty cards in deck or something like that. And if Demok was any card but the last one, I would have had another turn and I would have won. Uh, but because it was my last card, I had to win that turn and I just couldn't do it and I wound up losing that. Uh. Yes, so it was like, oh man, that really sucks to be like that to be the way they go out. But uh, yeah, no. Anyway, I mean, yeah, I remember the thing you're talking about. That was a, it was a great event though. It was really fun. We drove. We like, drove to that event. Oh, okay, yeah. It, and that was just a, it was just a weird time for me because I was in Vietnam at that point. I had I brought one of my decks with me, which was um, the FTK like, Magic Explosion, just just for the fun right. of it. That's what I had, and then that's when like the emergency list came out during that time. I'm like, well, holding this deck now is kind of pointless for yeah. me. But it was just kind of fun seeing the, the you know the, what happened in the course of six weeks because that's how long I was gone for, and to see the meta change so hard with the. Uh, with the before light destruction came out seeing glad beast kind of take over and then as you said you know you you had that foresight to be able to you know buy all the test tigers up and then sure enough happened to win the event and then glad beast uh went on a big dominating run for I th- roughly a year or so yeah. uh and then they they hung around oh yeah that was, i mean i i agree with everything you're saying that was a really it was a turning point for that deck certainly that event mm-hmm. uh but uh you know, I, I'm really glad we had the foresight to buy the Test Tigers before that event and not after, because uh, they shot up like mm-hmm. I think like it went from dollar cards to I think minimum was like ten dollars and maybe twenty or something. Like, I, I just remember having hundreds of these and it wound up being like a really <laughs> a really good thing. Yeah, I, I bet. Are you still uh, pretty close with your your overdose teammates now? Uh, yeah, you some some more than others. I mean, so. Uh, you know how to put this. So I, I mean, I talked to, I talked to uh, Paul and 
I want to say some other ones, but like uh, it depends on who. Like I, I don't know. Who, like let me put let me put it this way. I talk to I talk to Anthony all the time. I talk yep. to Rymus very often. I talk mm-hmm. to uh, Paul once in a while. Uh, I talk to Adam once in a while. Uh, but Iman, Shane, and um, Brian, for example, uh, not not so much. They're off doing their own life things that have nothing to do with Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other people in there. Like I still talk to Dale regularly. Pedal is married, has a kid. Like I don't, I don't yep. we we. I mean, it's not to say we wouldn't talk. It's just like you know, how do two dudes, you know, it, adult dudes, you know, thousands of miles away from each other, like what what are we talking about like on facebook like what, like hey man how's like it's just gonna be the same we're just catching up i'm sure if yeah. we saw each other though if, with any of these guys i'm sure it would just be like picking up like it was yesterday mm-hmm. uh but, so in general yeah i'm I'm still close with uh a lot of them but also there's a lot of us that have uh mm-hmm. gone on to other things that you know maybe we don't have as much to talk about nowadays yeah, because around that time we would have been roughly in our, our like low twenties at that point, and now it's about like roughly like a decade later now. And you know, there are many of us now that might have like that might have kids, might have like a wife, or at least like engaged or something to that effect. At least a lot of additional responsibilities that what we may have not had before. Because I'm I'm fairly certain now that uh, you're married now and you have a wife. Oof, oof, no, or, oh no, no. Okay. no. So let, uh, yeah, so I mean, I don't mind. I don't want to get into. I don't want to like elaborate on this too much. But yeah, that, that's, I, that's fine. I was. I don't anymore. I, okay. Uh, but uh, I. So I want to say another thing. By the way, another thing that came up in here is that uh, we were all. You also also used to be in the same New Jersey, New York area. Mm-hmm. We're all spread out now. So, like for example, um, you know, Rymus is actually he was in Texas. Actually, he was in Philippines and then he went to Texas, but now he's back in New Jersey. He happens to be okay. back in Jersey. But like Anthony and I, for example, we're both in Florida now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of us are in Cali. Some of us are in uh, Minnesota randomly. Mm-hmm. Some of us are in Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm i down here in Florida. I mm-hmm. am not in my 20s. In fact, I'm not like in 2005, I was 18. Uh, I'm yeah. in my 30s now. Mm-hmm. I've got a girlfriend. I've got a dog. I own my own house. I'm, I'm definitely a grown-up. I'm a certified grown-up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, but yeah, no, this is, um, I'm just saying like life has a way of, you know, if you're not, if you're not actively working with somebody on something or, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, we don't need to talk every day, but like, we're still, we, every time we do talk, like we had a group call, like, uh, not that long ago, I think it was for Rymus's birthday. We all got on zoom together, uh, wished him happy birthday and just talked for like an hour and a half or so. Like, it's just picking up right where we left off. Yeah. Still, okay. still the, the greatest group of guys I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. Well, it's, yeah. And then, and I have mentioned this before several times on my podcast before, but right now, one of my all my teammates at this point in time, they're, they're, they've stopped playing the game, and I'm the only one who's actually left. But my best friend was, uh, was one of my teammates, and uh, we, we've still retained that friendship since uh, we started in 2008 is when our friendship started. And uh, we, we're still best friends, and we still talk to each other all the time. And I, I'm pretty sure if and when I get married, he's going to be my best man as well. So <laughs> it's, it's amazing that you can you know, get these lifelong friendships even after like, the game has passed you. You can still keep it around. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Anthony was my best man. Uh, oh really? Oh. Yeah. No, it, it, I agree with you completely. This is, I mean, these are. That's the enduring legacy of of the game. It's not how how many 
how many shonen jumps I came second place at, or what deck was I best known for? It was, you know, whose lives uh, have affected me, or, or how whose lives I've affected, and, and who has affected my life, and who goes on, and who endure, and who endures. I mean, what friendships endure uh, uh, over time because of that game. That's the true legacy of the game for me, and it's something I, like I said, I, I feel very grateful for. I don't know, I don't know, I don't think my life would have been better if I never had that. Yeah, uh, and I, I fully agree with you there. If I, if I hadn't have been best friends with my best friend now, then my, my life would absolutely be completely different, probably not for the better, uh, you know, how to have my best friend around. So shout out to him, even though he doesn't want to hear it. And he, <laughs> we have this, we have this like relationship where uh, like I'm the clingy one and he's, he's the one who's always repulsed. He's like, get away from me kind of thing. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's like that. It's a really, it's a funny relationship. It's really fun to watch, but uh, that, but you know, deep down, you know, we're best friends. We, we always have been, and we always go on to trips to Los Angeles together. And I'm going to embarrass you for a minute here. Uh, I remember I took a trip down to Los Angeles and I think I was going around like Universal or Disneyland area and you messaged me saying, hey, I'm like, I live like 10, 15 minutes away from you. But you were thinking I was in Florida and not Los Angeles. And it, it was just a funny little I, I laughed so much when you messaged me that when I was down in the when I was down in L.A. on my little vacation. If you yeah. remember that uh, little that little I, I remember that message. I remember that message. And it I, I'm. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, hey man, if you if you're around, I'm right here. And you're just like, no, nah, dude, I'm on the other side of the country. And I was like, oh, well, have fun then. <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, I would have loved to have like met up with you and hung out with you, absolutely. But uh, we're probably around at least like 2,000 miles away from each other, considering LA and well, LA and uh, you know Florida aren't really uh, close together with my Look, uh, with my US Look. geography. I didn't read the post. That, I didn't. I didn't read the post that well. It was like Disneyland, Disney World. It's like, oh, there's only one. It's right by my house. I, I live like 20 minutes from Disney World. But like, okay, I yeah. didn't think about it. But anyway, <laughs> I, I laughed so hard and I showed that text to my friend because I because he was around during those days and he knew you were. So we both had a good laugh. And when I messaged you back, I'm like, yeah, no, unfortunately, I'm in Los Angeles, not quite in Florida. But the the last time we actually had like a good like face to face conversation was um, when you made like a quick return to the game in 2013 where we were in uh, we were in the Meadowlands actually because that was uh, a stone throw away from where you were and mm -hmm. surprisingly enough you topped that event I'm pretty sure with uh, I think you were playing Fire Fist but you mixed it a little bit with uh, dinosaurs if I recall in a mermail format yeah so this was okay yeah no, so this was at the time I was doing I was I had this project I was working on called UV Overdose, uh, where I was trying to have online tournaments, uh, online cash tournaments. And this was before anybody else was doing this kind of thing. Like now I think like, like luxury gaming does this. And there's like a bunch of Facebook groups that actually do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then in 2013, nobody was really doing this. And I had a website and I, I hosted tournaments and, uh, so like I, I wanted to do it cause I just was bored. I wanted to have some kind of project. Uh, and, and I thought it was also the kind of thing that I wish I had when I was playing competitively, like this, this way to test in an environment, a serious environment that wasn't just at the time dueling network. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and money was the way that I thought made everything serious. Uh, so, uh, I had this exposure to the, to the game as it was, I didn't really know a lot about like what I'd been missing out on uh, for the last, you know, five years or something. I, I learned over that, 
period where I was doing Yu-Gi-Oh! Overdose, like what the deck types were, not necessarily how to play with them. Uh, and then, you know, I heard about uh, Shonen Jump New Jersey with Met in the Meadowlands, like I said, 20 minutes from my house. And I was like, well, I'm going to play in that. I better learn something. Uh, and I, I, I think waters are uh, regarded, widely regarded as the best deck of that format. But mm-hmm. I could I could not play that deck. I just I don't know like any deck that involves like knowing a bunch of combos, like it was just like or you know, even to evaluate whether something like Deep Sea Diva or Gen X Undyne were good cards to play required more of me than I was willing to invest at that time. So I was like, nope, can't do it. Uh I I just picked a deck and and then I I really liked I forget the card name. I think it's is Drac Guaiba a card? Yeah, yeah. That that's yeah. the card that you would use in, in the dinos because you it was like Hydrogeton except the monster yeah. you brought out couldn't couldn't attack. It's so funny. I just I just criticized Hydrogeton. I'm like, yeah, Hydrogeton would suck in a in a modern environment. But it's like, yeah, I'm coming back, let me use Hydrogeton. Uh it was like but yeah, no, that that's definitely so I like I like that card. I was like, oh, this turns into a Dolka. Let me try it. Uh I guess because Adolka is really good against waters. And there was also uh, another card I cited that I thought was really good. Um, it was a trap. Uh, give me a second. It wasn't. It wasn't the one you're thinking of. It was the water card. It's. It was a common side card for water. Uh, a member anyway. of an adversary. No, no, that debunk? that was debunk. There you go, debunk. Yeah. Uh, so you know, three debunk and and Dolka. I was like, I was tearing up waters on dueling network like pretty easy, and I was like, yep, this requires almost no thought whatsoever. I. Mm-hmm. I will play this. And I just, I, I think like I, I think I tied, I think in the like round one or round two or something like that, I tied against dark world. And I was like, man, this is not going to be a good day. But then I just like held on and, and then, yeah, I topped, uh, you know, somewhat surprisingly, I want a beating a friend of mine in the final round who was playing waters and he was not happy about it. Uh, <laughs> I definitely didn't feel like I had the better deck. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so then I, I almost, I showed up late to the top cut cause mm-hmm. I didn't realize what time they were starting. Uh, mm-hmm. and I want to play it against insectors, which was a deck type I did really like. I would have played insectors, but I just thought they weren't really viable. I think there was like the only insector deck in top or something like that. It turns mm-hmm. out that is not a good matchup for me. And I lost, it was just a bad matchup and, uh, cool. I got knocked out sort of unceremoniously sadly but expected expectedly i just i it, i was really shocked that i was able to top uh and i'm really glad that i did so like how did you feel going from like p- playing the ddt you know what we mentioned before like requires so much thought process so much foresight and so much you know adaptability and right. going to playing uh the the dino the dino fist deck that you played awful. which doesn't quite have that like thought awful. process it, it was it lose a lot more linear it was oh. awful so I hated it. So I, I the deck the deck was let me back up. There was a uh it was a version let me I'll say two things. Number one, there was a version of that deck that was a little different. Uh I think it used Evil Swarm something. It was like the 1850-1950 guy that like bounced out when you activated an effect and there was some uh I did a deck profile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was like it was I was I, I was doing a stun deck to begin with before I was doing the Dino Fist, and uh, this was linear but not great. Uh, and and I was like, and then I got off of that entirely. I was like, I don't want to do this stupid linear thing. And I discovered uh, uh, Infernities. Is 
I think it's Infernity. That's the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that. Uh, that was really good. Uh, and I I was testing that actually for the weeks leading up to Show and Jump New Jersey. And I if I if there was a way where you could go first all the time, I would have <laughs> ran that deck. I was just like, yeah, I can, I can win game one, game three, and this would be awesome. But when you when you go second, like or having to run, I think I ran like I don't I don't know if this is if, the, if, if I'm lying, I'm lying. If But I think I ran like three Mystical Space Typhoon and three Night Beam in that deck. I don't know if Mystical Space was at three, but there was something like that. But having to run those cards really ate into your combo uh, just because you had to plan for if you were going second. Uh, and uh, um, so I, I, I dropped that in the end. But that Infernities were way more like DDT actually than... I think any other deck I tried in that format. Uh, and I really, I really liked it. I think, I think I played that deck really well. Uh, like that's something like I, I studied, I learned, uh, and then I just eventually let go of it the last minute. And I was, I just was like, all right, screw, screw it. I'm just going to play <laughs> fire piss instead. So whatever. I just, I didn't even, I didn't even care. I wasn't, I wasn't even, that was the other thing that was really frustrating. I didn't go to do well. <laughs> I went to just yep. see some friends and I had other plans Saturday night that I had to cancel oh, really? because I was still in the oh. tournament. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I wasn't planning on doing well. It was just like, oh, I guess that just happened to turn out okay. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it was, uh, it's just, it was a funny event. Um, <laughs> and I, I can't really say much more about it. I don't really remember a lot about the event. Oh, you know what? I played against Constellers. That's the one thing I remember. The guy oh, I played against was really funny. Um, I'm sure there's in my feature match or something. His name was Victor. Um, he was, I don't think Concellers was a popular deck at the time, but uh, it was, I think it, it was either the, I think it was like the second to last round uh, where Memory of the Adversary, Memory of an Adversary wound up coming into play. Uh, and I was just like, I felt really cool. I was like, yeah, no one else is using this card. Uh, and the same thing with Samurai. Uh, this, this, now that I mentioned it, Samurai, Constellar, Dark World, I played a lot of like, non-water decks but i also played like oh, i think five, five water decks in swiss but uh mm-hmm. i definitely played these random decks and against those random decks the memory of an adversary i remember being like the mvp for me for that for that event it was really a fun fun time mm-hmm. now, to talk about slowing down decks there we're, we're gonna go back to probably one of the most popular formats right now that you are that you've been like fairly active in when you decided to maybe like dabble back into Yu-Gi-Oh! And we're talking, we're talking about GOAT format, you know. Uh, have you been involved with that uh, as of late? Uh, yeah, so that's like... Okay, so I I played GOAT format on and off since GOAT format. Uh, I think like one of the things that people uh, know best about me outside of like... There are old-timey players like you uh, that mm-hmm. know me, I think, best for DDT. And then there are sort of uh, less involved players uh, in the modern modern Yu-Gi-Oh! who know me almost exclusively for GOAT, goat control or GOAT mm-hmm. format. Uh, and uh, I think that's because of, you know, my coming up in its resurgence, like post-2010, there was a period... Uh, some people say 2011, 2012, something like that. But uh, somewhere around 2010, when after Konami took over and people were kind of like getting tired of Yu-Gi-Oh! In, in modern Yu-Gi-Oh! And they, did, they couldn't keep up with it for competitive reasons, like wanted something to go back to, they would they would revisit uh, Go Format. And mm-hmm. like I, I did, I've always done well 
since that period. And then in 2014, there was this big team tournament uh, where I went. I think it was like, I don't know, like 21 and one or something like that. Uh, and that's kind of unheard of in GOAT format. Like most people, you know, have like an 80% win rate or something like that. Or like, or not 80%, like the best players would have like, 80 percent 75 percent 78 percent something like that like good players might have like a 70 72 percent and like an average player would have you know something like 50 percent. so like there's no one that would ever have something like a 90 something win percent so like that struck people as oh that's something different and uh, uh i think like between that that deck uh, my Boston deck uh, in 2005, the deck I topped with and, and Shonen Jump Boston, like in the resurgence of the format, people gravitated towards that being the standard deck. And then 2014, it became, oh, wh whatever Chris Perovic ran in 2014, that's the standard deck. And that continued, I think, up until like, um, I want to say maybe like two, three years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, the community sort of let go of Exerion uh, Xerion universe. And then we've gotten into, uh, this pre Xerion game and I have not set the standard yet for people slash, uh, the, the, the format is more in flux. I'd say both, mm -hmm. both, both by the nature of Xerion's inclusion, I mean, exclusion, uh, <laughs> and also by, um, people's willingness to experiment back in the day, like everyone ran, goat control it, like it didn't matter if anything else was better they just ran goat control because they wanted to play go <laughs> they ran goat control for that reason but like nowadays mm -hmm. people are just kind of like i will play what wins and so that's that's prompted people to try things other than go control so uh yeah like i guess nowadays like i don't have like a deck that people follow and say that's that's the perovic build like they did in you know 2014 15 16 17 whatever uh, mm -hmm. uh but i'm still i'm still looked at a lot about like what do i think is the best deck and what am i doing and uh things like that uh so yeah like i i, I would say it's it's safe to say i'm 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 fairly well known in the goat format community are you still fairly active in playing goat format right now or just sorry uh, yeah not even that, sorry yeah that was actually your question i kind of like i I will ramble if you don't stop me. You have to do a better job at that. No, go go uh, ahead. Go go right ahead. Uh, yeah. So I was uh, up until uh, like two two years ago, and then I stopped um, because of this this whole thing. It's I don't even want to get into it, but it's this whole thing. It's uh, the community. The let me put it this way: the community is 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 not necessarily like the nicest or the uh, healthiest uh, among video game communities or game gaming communities. Uh, and, and I just, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like discord and talking about Yu-Gi-Oh 24 seven. And I don't like people talking negatively about other people that they don't know anything about. Uh, I don't like people like acting like they're the best or that they are unique in what they discover or contribute to the game or uh, holding their skill level over other people uh, as, as if that makes them a better person. And I got really fed up with that 
type of mentality, that kind of toxic mentality that is present uh, in this community, or at least was more present in this community back then. Um, And then, uh, you know, combine that with like people uh, just straight up lying about uh, me and other people uh, and spreading rumors that just aren't true. Uh, And it was just like, I needed a break. I like I need to get out into the real world where things actually matter and like do something different because this is not good for you know me being like f- so focused on this. But then coronavirus hit, and like I couldn't go out anymore. Like there was we went had that lockdown up until uh, like April thirtieth. So like there was like a <laughs> seven weeks or so where like I'm working from home. But then after after I get done with work, that like the gym's closed and it's like, what do I do? Like what do I? Let me, I guess I'll play some Yu-Gi-Oh. So, <laughs> so like, I'll say that I, I was up until two years ago. Then in April, mm-hmm. I started playing, you know, just for fun a little bit, um, just like once in a while. And then I started, I guess I would say like playing more regularly uh, ever since then. So yeah, the answer, the short answer to your question, yes, I'm more active in GoForMet today than I have been for a while, uh, and that's largely thanks to coronavirus. I'm certain if coronavirus wasn't a thing and I could just, you know, go back out to the movies and I could go to Andretti's go kart racing or we could go kayaking more and stuff, and when it when it issue, I, I'm certain, you know, me and my girlfriend would be out like doing way more things. But most nowadays, for now, like it's just something that does pass the time while I'm sitting at home. Mm-hmm. So wh- why is it that you have like this, the, the involvement in goat format that, that you do like right now, or like uh, the, the past couple of years that you had, cause like, cause you pretty much like stop playing the game, but then when you still remain in the game, it's just nothing but goat format. Yeah. With, what's the question? Like, why is that the, is that the question? Yeah. Like, well, why did you decide to just to kind of remain in Yu-Gi-Oh for at least like for goat format? Cause, cause even though like you quit like several years ago, um okay that's a good question um all right i i mean i'll get a little real i said i guess um yeah by all means yeah no so i'd say um hmm. all right so i guess i guess i put it this way i I mean, I do a lot of things. I, I work on a lot of different projects. I, I, I build things sometimes. I read a lot. Um, I, uh, I don't game actually that much. Like I have, I have, I have an, uh, an Xbox one. I have a, I had, I had a PS4. I just sold it. Uh, I got a switch. Um, but like the only game I had on PS4 was Spider-Man. And it's like, I, that's like, the only, and I only bought it to play that. And my Xbox one, I've got like, like, like 12, 15 games, something like that. I've only ever played Batman. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't, I, and uh, so I don't, I don't really game that much. And, and I guess in general, I, I did when I was younger a lot, but when nowadays it's kind of boring to me. Um, and uh, so I don't do that. I love movies, but there haven't been a lot of movies coming out lately. Uh, mm-hmm. And in general, I guess I, what I'm trying to say is that I, I still think of myself as a lazy person by default. Like I suffer from this sort of crippling laziness that I have to deliberately sort of do something about. And when I fail at that, 
I default to things that are easy for me, uh, mm-hmm. which which means like movies or uh, in this case, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh just happens to be a thing that I do when I am failing at being my best. Uh, <laughs> and, and the reason why I think I default to that over you know, other things that I'm also really good at. Like I, I, there are like other things I'm, I'm good at that are easy for me is because it is, and I, and I mean this, I mean this with no disrespect to anybody. Um, but it, it's, it happens to be the thing that not only do I feel like I am best at sadly, by the way, this is not a, this is not a, this is not me tooting my horn. I'm not saying this, that anybody thinks highly of me at any at all. It's the worst thing. It's the worst thing to like get admiration for. Don't, don't do that. But it it just, it happens to be the thing I think personally that I am best at. Uh, And that is a very sad fact for me. Uh, But it also is the thing that like, I have, it's the only thing in my life actually that I've ever truly felt great at. Like, I mean, when I say great, I mean, like, I'm trying to be humble, but at the same time, I have to be honest. Like, I I feel like, like when I play in a GOAT format tournament or if I play in a, uh, just in Yu-Gi-Oh! in general, like, except for that spot in 2013, I I feel like I'm like Michael Jordan. I feel like I'm coming in and I feel like I know uh, more than everyone else. And I know, like, I, I feel like I watch like top players play and like we will, I will jokingly but seriously point out their mistakes. And I'm like, what do you do that for? And they're just like, uh, yeah, whoops. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I definitely feel like I play better than everyone else. And that feeling of greatness, uh, has wrecked me. I mean, personally, it's just, it's, it's something that like, you know, you go chasing for that and everything else. And it turned like I got into engineering, for example. I mean, just to backtrack a bit. Uh, one of the reasons I'm an electrical engineer is because of Nikola Tesla. Uh, I discovered him back in, you know, 2009. And, and I went to the library for the first time ever. Uh, <laughs> read a book on my own accord for the first time ever. Like I didn't, I didn't used to read a lot. I like, it's only something in my adult life I found. Uh, but the, I checked out these books about Nicole Tess. I read about them. And there was this, there was this quote um, from, I think it was Lee DeForest about after he had toured one of Tesla's laboratories, he said, how I pray that I may equal or excel him. Uh, and he's talking about Nicole Tesla's genius. And I'd never heard somebody compliment another human being like that but i was so filled with this this ego from Yu-Gi-Oh that i thought i would be great at everything i tried and i thought well if this is the kind of thing that that you know and, and i also looked at what nikola tesla did in his life and I, I was really like i really wanted to pick up where he left off and i looked at that and i was like you know if he could do that i could do that and i just thought i would i really thought that i was going to become an electrical engineer and i was going to invent something amazing i thought i was going to change the world uh and then by the time you know engineering school was out like the best idea i had was like a hot dog vending machine and it's like (laughs) and it's i guess i guess i I guess that's all what i'm the short version of to answer your question is why do i play uh because i'm failing at being my best that's a b is it is the thing that i feel i am best at uh so so c it fills me with the greatest sense of personal satisfaction of like doing something 
uh, right. When really, like I, the real thing is I should be trying to develop my skills in in other things, or maybe I should be thinking about inventions other than hot dog vending machine. Or something. <laughs> so, so there's there's your three part answer that um, uh, that that touches on why I still play. Well, this is this somewhat relates to what you said, and I, I'm a huge procrastinator, especially when I was in school. I would do all my essays probably in like the last yep. day, maybe the last two days or something like that. Same. I would never get things done immediately, like right off the hop. But in, in order to get myself actually going, you know, you would do like the easy things, the small things that would kind of get yourself going. Like, like in your case, you know, maybe to get your brain going, maybe you want to play a little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh because you know so much about it. Right. And that kind of like, that kind of jumpstarts your brain. It, it's kind of like me. I got to do something that, you know, that will get me going, get me kickstarted. And then my brain's fully active and then I'm ready to go and write. Like I'm, I'm a journalist now by trade and I even procrastinate on that. I'll even wait till my deadline is, yep. you know, uh, maybe I got a couple hours away or something like that and I'm finally working on my story. But I always have to do these little tasks or something. So like maybe if I get up, maybe I'll start washing the dishes. I'll, I'll start maybe cooking something to, just to get yourself active. And I think that maybe Yu-Gi-Oh is your, is your outlet right now just to get your brain going and then kind of get the creative juices flowing. It's actually, it's funny you say that because that's, I mean, I didn't, I, I can, this is kind of something like I, I gloss over in my personal life. I'm just like, oh yeah, this is this thing I do, but please no one ask me too many questions about it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, actually, so when I'm at work and, and like I, on my lunch break after I eat lunch, like I've got an hour lunch break, but like an hour, doesn't take me an hour to eat my lunch. It takes like maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever. Like I will play, I'll play like a, a goat game in the middle of the day. And like, that's when I most often play nowadays. Uh, and really though, that's, it's not just because I'm bored or I'm passing the time. It's really because that's like how I jumpstart myself for the second half of the day. And I find that I'm actually way more productive in the afternoon after I have played a match or two. Uh, so it's, it's funny that you say it that way, because I think there's something to that. I think there's something to getting those juices flowing or waking up in a way that maybe just doesn't happen right at, as soon as I get out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've, I've took a little bit of like, I'll look at myself when I do things and I seem to do better when, like before I play like a regional or like a bigger event, uh, I, most of the time I don't really test play. I just kind of go there and just hang out, see a bunch of friends and just, just say, hi, I don't really test beforehand. But the times that I have tested a little bit before the event started, I've seemed to have done a lot better because I think at that point, my brain might be warm at that point rather than just being cold. Cause I'm also not a morning person as well. I hate waking up at you know seven o'clock in the morning. If there's not a double digit in the hour, <laughs> I don't want to wake up. That, that's me. I will work through the late hours. I don't care. I just don't want to wake up in the morning. I feel you. But I feel like, <laughs> but I feel like if you like playing a game, maybe before you actually play the play an event might help kickstart you. Cause I had one, only one YCS top, but I did a lot of testing before the event actually started the day of it. And I, I think it really helped out. And of course there was a lot of play testing before that too, but just energizing your brain a little bit there just to get the creative juices flowing is at least has some merit. I'm not going to say it's definitively, but there's there's something to it at least in, in doing something that helps you get get yourself going, get yourself started, kick started, you know, rather than just you know going cold turkey at it. Do you play do you play like on dueling book right now? 
you know what? I don't really play on Duel Link Book a lot because uh, I, I I enjoy a lot of the the psychological aspect of the Yu Gi Oh. So I don't try to play Yu Gi Oh online because it kind of takes it away. Plus, I do have a lot of other hobbies that kind of like supersede that if I'm not playing in person. But I have been playing a little bit in person in, in the past weeks, d- despite the coronavirus. I've had like a, like a friend or two over here and there, but th- but that's about it as far as that goes. Oh, gotcha. You, I mean, you're lucky if you you have people around to play like that. I. If if there was people around, I mean, if there are people around me that know how to, or like to play Go Control, I don't even know if anybody has like decks built or anything like that. So it's maybe a little. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, so Hans, like, so when you play in real life, like, mm-hmm. you buy these cards, right? Yeah, well, so if I do have to buy some of the cards, or I can just kind of rummage up uh, a bunch of cards that I have because I have because t- I have a ton of cards that have been kept over the years. So I still have a lot of the old cards and whatnot. And not to mention nowadays, it's so easy to grab a bunch of the goat format cards that have been, that have been like reprinted and whatnot. So it's, it's not that difficult. Oh, no. So like I have my own, sorry. I have my own deck and everything. Sorry. I was, I was, I wasn't talking about go for it. When you say you play against other oh, people. Sorry. No. Yeah. I, I thought you were saying that when you play against other people <laughs> that you play like modern Yu-Gi-Oh. Is that not? Oh yes. Yes. I still do. I, I've, I've been playing competitively ever since I, I first started like picking up a Yu-Gi-Oh deck and I haven't stopped since there's been times where I've had to go on like a force hiatus due to, due to like school or, or like other commitments or whatnot. But I've, my interest in this game has been consistent from start to finish. Gotcha. Yeah. I just, I guess, I don't know. That, that it feels like it'd be annoying, right? Like, cause I mean, every time you want to try it, like if you don't play online, I mean, one of the, I mean, this is, you're also talking to me like my, I go back to, YVD, like that. YVD is what I grew up on. Yeah, you get a virtual desktop. Yeah, yep, me too. So <laughs> I, I, that's like where I got started. I've been a big proponent of online play ever since, like, ever since the start. Uh, and uh, I always like the manual simulators. I don't like the automatic simulators. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I've really, I've also really honed my, uh, my skills, my Yu-Gi-Oh skills on online. But like, uh, I guess why I'm I'm going with that is that. If I wanted to play on like in real life, like it seems like a hassle because they gotta you gotta get all these cards, you gotta swap them out, or you you chase down. Like when I play online, I could just test out anything and I just go from one deck type to the next, and I don't have to worry about resleeving or anything like that. So I'm just wondering, I guess, do you when you test, do you also like not really play online, or do you just do you mainly test like in person? Well, there is one other format that we haven't actually touched on yet that I do actively. And that's and, and this kind of sounds weird when I say this, but I also play a lot of the video games as well. Okay. And that's also like that's an alternative form of testing. Now, I'm not play I don't play with a lot of humans, but that's just a way for me to kind of like just be creative and just kind of jerk around yeah. with a bunch of funny little like low tier decks. So I do play like I know the computers aren't like the the greatest challenge, but no. it's more for me to just get my creative juices flowing and just kind of have fun with the deck uh, without having to buy cards. Of course, nowadays we have like, we have dueling network, we have dueling book now, but like before, before all that happened, I would play a lot of the video games just because I just enjoyed that kind of, the, that kind of gameplay. And not to mention, I also like kind of like building my deck up from like, which is basically a terrible, terrible deck, but just kind of getting myself adjusted to it. Cause I feel like uh, a, a grind right now is a skill that, a lot of uh, us, us legacy players have like when we play goat format, you know, the game's not over in, in two or three turns. It actually takes like a good, like 10, 15, 20 turns to actually finish a match uh, or game rather, as opposed to nowadays where you, you can finish it within the first four turns. And I think that's a really good skill to develop nowadays. If you, uh, to help you put yourself over the top in today's format. 
Got you. I, I can't say much. Like I said, I, I don't really game. I, I haven't gamed in a long yeah. time. But I mean, I, I I totally understand if 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 there was a way to get value out of a game, it doesn't really matter if it's a person or, or not. If what you're using it for is just to, you know, wake yourself up, pass, pass some time, and get some get some juices flowing. I think there is value to that. I just don't know. I don't know what game is maybe works best for that. For me, I guess for for goat format. Is there one out there like that? Oh uh, no, no! For I haven't been able to play Gorfan, and not in any, yeah, not in any like re- official release video game right now. Yeah, no, I know Duel Links is a thing. Do you have, have you tried that Duel Links? I I tried it right off the start, but I, I wasn't a I wasn't a fan of the format to be honest with you. And then uh, just like I didn't want to spend money on the on the actual app myself either, so I just stopped playing yeah. because I didn't want to invest money because I'm already investing money in the game as it is the actual card game as it is. I don't want to divert it into going to Duel Links as well and have to maintain it. Like I, I even trade it as a completely separate uh, card game, and like trading is also a big part of why I love Yu-Gi-Oh. I love trading with people, talking to people, just engaging in a conversation with them. Like, and that's the, the whole social aspect of it is kind of what drives me with Yu-Gi-Oh itself. Like, I could go to an event all day and just do terribly, but I would still have a good day if I still got to hang out with friends, talk, maybe make a couple trades here and there. I'd still call that a good day for myself, nonetheless. Yeah, I, I. I agree with you everything about trade except trading. I hated trading. I, I always relegated that. Yeah, I relegated that to to Paul and Shane, and and I just I liked I did like just talking to people. I like like watching matches. I like making fun of people. I like people. It's like yeah, it was, I mean it's just a blast. Like when you're just hanging out, and then like it's I think like actually to be honest, the best times were always like after the event, like Saturday night. We're all going out to dinner or something like that, or we're just gonna walk around town and like we're all just doing stupid things i'm i'm having flashbacks to a few events right now and i'm just saying like those were the things that were that were the blast so i agree with you about the social aspect of it it's not just about about playing but just minus trading i hate trading it's so it's yeah yeah that's fair it's not for everybody but i'll, I'll put it this way for you to kind of to, to your defense a little bit more the more local it is, the more I'm, I'm wanting to trade because I, I don't like to trade so much more at like regionals or higher events because you get a lot of uh, you get a lot of hustlers, yeah, and a lot of people that's that, exact, kind of, that kind of like, yeah, exactly. that kind of fall back to is like, oh, I can get it from this guy for this much. It's like, well, then go get it from them yeah. or something like that. But if I go to a local, it's a lot more, it's a lot more relaxing atmosphere. There's not as much pressure. And I feel like in that kind of atmosphere, it's a lot easier to trade with people because it's, people seem to be a little bit more friendly, especially if you go to a different place where you have a bunch, you, it's a new person to trade with. It's like, oh, they, they can have something that I want and, and vice versa. So, so I understand why you don't want to trade at big events because I typically don't like to. I do sometimes, but I'm but and if I do, it's mostly with people I already know, as opposed to just like random strangers. But I but I hate the hustling. I hate that kind of. Uh, Same. I, I hate those people that just try to squeeze you for every single dollar. Like I, I like having like a good like honest trade, and just because my philosophy is, you know, if you make the other person happy in a trade, the more likely they're going to come back to you again and again, and then you know you're going to maybe make a deal, like get a good deal uh, now and again. And I'd rather build that kind of like, you know, a trading status with another person, like a, a reputation, if you will. Right. Uh, yeah. Repertoire. I look, I, I, I agree with, with what you're saying. It's just, I guess I don't, I literally don't think I know anybody in that camp of people who are worth trading with again and again. Everyone I meet is like, all right, I will value my cards at a hundred percent. I will value your cards at seventy-five percent of whatever is on, you know, troll and toad or whatever. How can we make a deal that benefits me? And it's like, wait a second, hold on. That's 
that's not what I'm here. I'm here to do that to you. <laughs> so, so it's like, <laughs> and it's, it's, it just never seems to really work out. Like I'm just like wasting, I feel like I waste my time doing that. I'm just like, you know what, forget it. I'll just, I'll buy the things I want and then I'll sell them when I'm done with them. And then we'll call it a day. Like, don't worry about it. I, I but that's just, that's just me. I'm, I was never really big into that. Yeah. It almost feels like you're kind of getting like, you're in like predatory territory in that sense when you're, when you're trading at like a high profile event, because there's, there's just so many people out there and I, and it still happens today. Like we, we know with like every single event, there's going to be, there's a theft, there's something that yeah. goes on. Like there's something that's not good yeah. that happens. And we've seen like fights, we've seen fights break out. We've heard of vandalism or whatnot, a lot of shouting that happens, you know, it, it, it sucks, but you know, pe- people get into arguments over these kinds of things. You know what I said, I said before that the goat format community has like, or again, I, right now it seems like the moderators in the goat format communities, by the way, are doing a lot better about this sort of thing. And because it's all, all online it's a lot easier to like police maybe isn't the right word but police these conversations uh and and, but and they're just conversations that's the other part of this but the truth is really as far back as i know uh this this kind of this kind of stuff has happened unfortunately uh in the in the community at large and in particular at events i went to events like holding my book bag like around my chest right like during the match it's like i wrapped it yeah yeah, put my shoulder straps on and having the book bag in front of me or like in the worst case like sitting on the floor but one strap is wrapped or what both straps are wrapped around my feet and it's like well this this kind of sucks that i have to do that but is what it is and for the the most part for the most part people particularly people that know you and people that you interact with uh for me anyway I, i mean i've had nothing but largely positive experiences with them it it tends to be for uh in my experience the the people who go there specifically to exploit other people that kind of give it a bad rap for everybody slash that's for in real life events in in online environments it's just people who go in trying to be toxic that try to ruin it for other people it's never it's never like Oh, we're just two normal people, you know, regularly interacting 99% of the time. And one and one one time you're just gonna say something ridiculously offensive uh, that crosses the line. Or that never happens. Like most people just check themselves. Most people are just decent people. It's just that there are other people that just say, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm just gonna be awful. And it's like I have no interest in in being a decent person. And those are the people that wind up ruining it. Or ruin the, ruining the perception of the community at large for everybody and uh yeah that that's that's what i can understand it you know my dad told me this a, a long time ago and i i, I kind of cringe a little bit but he was right it's like if you left like five dollars at like a Yu-Gi-Oh event if you just dropped it mm-hmm. odds and you left it for like maybe five minutes odds are it's gonna be taken yeah for sure odds are someone's gonna take it if you left it like five if and if you left like five dollars, like maybe like anywhere else, odds are like someone might actually just pick it up and try to maybe give it back to you. But yeah, he, he had a point where like you know, there's there's a lot of bad apples in Yu-Gi-Oh. Like not not to say that there aren't any good apples because I've made so many friends off right. this game, but there's definitely a lot of people who are out there for you know like for just a monetary for a monetary gain, and you know that's where that's where like the the thievery kind of comes into place, and it really does sully the game because I know like a lot of people aren't like that, but of course it's it's the one it's the couple bad apples that you know make the game like you know, kind of look more toxic as it is. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why that is. Uh, I, I wonder if I sometimes wonder about it, but only, only for like a minute or so. Then I just move on to the next thing that's actually like important. But sometimes I wonder if there's like a, uh, 
like a socioeconomic thing where you like Yu-Gi-Oh players maybe don't make as much money as like magic players or Pokemon players or maybe Pokemon players like they're, oh, they're all kids. So it doesn't, there's no impetus to make money. Right. So or some, I, I don't know how true, mm-hmm. I don't know what the reality is of, of this particular game uh, or if it's truly different than other games. I'm just, I'm, I mean, me and you, I think we're just talking about some of our personal experiences and although they were, have, have been largely positive, you know, there are some, mm-hmm. there are some, sour moments to sort of you know work around yeah and d- d- definitely is i mean like of course we're it, it's like every 10 good moments you have there's probably going to be at least one bad moment in there it's it's kind of inevitable especially for the amount of time that you and i have played this game oh, yeah. there's bound to be something terrible or awful that's happened before so I, I'm, sh- I'm sure you can relate. i'm sure everyone else that's listening in can relate to you know having at least one really bad experience in this game whether it be through like a trade from like theft or just even a duel for that matter for because i've even had some terrible opponents as well and, and that still doesn't stop oh, and but you know again i'm not gonna let that kind of thing kind of like destroy my 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 perception of the game because this game's brought me so much joy it's like something really bad has to happen for me to like really be off put by this there game. are i mean not for nothing i mean you you don't you're not so deep into dueling book and in particular like rated games on dueling book but i mean i'll tell you man there are people on there that you know uh they 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 use really foul language uh and i and i i I have no i have no aversion to foul language i'm just saying when you when you curse people out in the middle of a game uh because they took six seconds to take their turn instead of three seconds that you preferred like that kind of that kind like that is so rampant online uh particularly when you're not looking the person in the face they're not even really a person i think people like play on dueling book hoping that they're just playing against computers so that they could because they're not there to have an experience with you they're there to have an experience for themselves they want to test their own deck they want to draw their own cards whatever they don't even care who you are uh and but Mm -hmm. so like that you're taking any time or that you you do something or that you draw well like everything is uh sort of negative to them and, and uh, not everything but a lot of people react really negatively to this there are people on dueling book that have called judges hundreds of times like on their opponent like like try to rule shark or, or so, like you know whereas like the average player i think in the course of their whole dueling book uh life has maybe called a judge like four times there are people who have done this hundreds of times and i'm just Mm-hmm. Certain people are toxic, and and certain other people are just kind of normal, and it's it's just kind of uh, a fact of life around the game to try to uh, get around these toxic I, people. I think a part of this might be because, um, like right now, we we live in a world where uh, there's a lot of people who just want to get you know, the the 15 minutes of fame. They try to like goad people or kind of provoke people into saying something or doing something like completely ridiculous, and then kind of they you know exploit them online, kind of like. like for example, you see so many posts on Zodiac Duelist where you see like, oh, like check out this guy who did this and whatnot and whatnot. You know, people just try to humiliate each other online. I mean, that's that's not part of a community that I, I really want to be a part of. I don't want to humiliate people like yeah. that. Yeah, man. I, I, you're preaching to the choir here. This is the kind of thing that like I yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, I – mean, I, the other part of this is sometimes when I see this kind of thing, I feel – honestly, I feel really old. I feel like this is – I feel – maybe this isn't my community anymore. Like maybe, you know, in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, when I'm going to these events and I've got like my North Face backpack and and I'm, I'm traveling with my friend or my, you know, the, the backpack with straps, like, and it just kind of, 
Uh, it's like a plastic <laughs> name. Like I'm just kind of, uh, you know, maybe maybe that was my time. Maybe that was, you know, pre pre or maybe just around when iPhone came out, the first iPhone came out. Maybe that like the community was my community then or maybe I was more like that then. But like now this mm-hmm. doesn't feel like me at all. And 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 oh. I just it's so it makes me not want to be a part of it. And that's why I say like I only play when I'm not really being my best because it's like I have to overlook this huge thing that just is a mm-hmm. is a, such a it seems like an integral component of the community. And, uh, and I wish that other people frankly would just grow up uh, and sort of, you know, turn the same way that you're saying now, sort of just say, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish more people said that. And I wish more people, you know, behaved in, uh, in accordance to that, but uh, until they do. And I mean, like I said, it's just something you got to navigate around. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this kind of goes back to what, what we said a, a while ago with, with your team, with team overdose he's like i never perceived any of you guys at all to be like really cocky or arrogant at all like i, I don't see have that you met paul from you guys like you guys uh, except, except for me <laughs> I don't know. I have only like very very better at passing i didn't really see a whole lot of it out of you guys maybe maybe paul's just the bad the, the one bad app no, the whole team. First of all, i love paul, I love paul. Paul's, Paul's, I, i'm just saying go format world championships are coming up and i'm like hey paul you want to test he's like i don't need to test i'm just gonna roll up in there and win like i'm just saying well, that's that's the kind of guy paul is uh yeah. so i mean if we're if we're cocky or if we're arrogant i I, I mean, it's in the same, it's in, it's in either that vein where it's, it's funny to watch or it's in, uh, it's in my vein that I've already, I mean, I put on display here where I just said, look, man, I happen to think I'm the best GOAT format player or I happen to, in general, I think, I mean, if I was still playing you, I feel like I'd be on top of the game just because I have that level of confidence in myself. So like I'm, I'm, e- I'm yeah. egotistical and, and, I, and, I, and I apologize for that. Uh, I've humbled myself. Like I don't go around like telling people you suck. I don't go around telling people like I'm better than you. I just, for now, or at least I learned this a long time ago. I just let the results speak for themselves. And I just say like, look, if, if other people want to think that I'm a good player, it won't be because I told them that it'll be because like I did well at a tournament or I win more with a particular deck type or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but in general, no, I think like, I think most of us just prioritize like having, good times when we're around other people and we don't, we don't try to like many make anyone feel like, well, make, I don't, I don't think any of us ever. In fact, like even, even when Paul says like, Oh, like I'm like, if he, if he talks some smack before an event, I, I like I said, the, the, the point is never to make anyone else feel bad. That is not how any of us is, have ever built any built ourselves up. We only ever try mm-hmm. to build up the people around us. And, and I think that that's why people like you have that impression. Yeah, and uh, I and I can understand that, uh, but the, you know the point I'm trying to make is that it, I, nowadays I'm just seeing I'm just seeing a lot more uh, kind of like negativity and maybe a little bit more arrogance in a lot of other people now, it's, especially when you see on Zodiac Duelist, there's a lot more like kind of like machismo going around, you know that kind of uh, I, I don't I don't want to say toxic masculinity that might be the wrong the wrong words for it, but at least promoting like arrogance in, in the game now it seems to be part of like a personality. It's like controversy is like bad news is better than no news for like publicity in, in a sense can you, you know it's kind of can like you that. ever think about somebody who you really respected both as a great player and a great person who was like that that was uh that, that kind of got cocky that, that was like that i mean i don't want to say was had like to put on display this sort of toxic masculinity i'm not just i'm not i'm just using that phrase because you use that phrase but like somebody like yeah. that 
who uh, is is you know brash and and argumentative and blah blah blah. Like, did you ever respect? Is there anyone like that that you have respected both as a player and as a person? Okay, uh, I, I see what you're getting at. Okay, so this is it, it's kind of like uh, right now Stephen Trivanovsky. Like he kind of right now just exudes like a lot of confidence in himself. Calls himself. Well, he was appointed the name Pen God by someone else, uh, t- t- uh, by Sam Runovisiri, Team Samurai X1. But, uh, you know, before actually, like, meeting him in real life, I, you know, I thought he was just brash, he was cocky, he was just this kind of jerk. But actually, I've actually played him once, and he actually has, like, real dueling skill and actually, like, engaging in a real conversation with him. It's like, it completely, like, flipped my perspective on him. Like, I had, like, I have a lot of respect for him now because I had a real conversation with him rather than just, you know, whatever his you know, an online personality might be, mm-hmm. so to say. So, like, I would say, like, he was probably the best example of it because, again, like, he's he's a great player. He's fantastic. But he, he does exude, like, a lot of confidence within himself. It, it might be to the point of a cockiness. You could make that argument for or against. There's, like, there's two sides to it. You can make it. But uh, he was definitely an example of, uh, of what you're asking. Got you. Me. Okay, well, I mean, it, I, so that's one. I All right, how many... Can you let me guess my I guess my question is, uh, in general, of all the people that you that you respect, both as players and as people, uh, what percentage of those would you say are are have sort of an I, I want to say like a negative persona? I, I would say tremendously low on that account, at least for people that I personally know. It's just more of the people that like I don't know, but just kind of portray themselves. Just yeah, exactly. Themselves yeah, online. I, I, I think I think this Zodiac is just like a really bad, like a really like pinpointed example of how that. Well, could be. I mean, Zodiac's just, I mean, it's it's one place, it's one community, but I mean, I, I'd say that that kind of uh, environment exists in in different forms around the internet. It's just the idea of like, okay, yeah, there's some level of an anonymity slash you'll never come across me in real life, kind of. You know, I'm going to act this way, and it's it's not necessarily oh, I'm I'm a fundamentally different person behind this keyboard it's just that i'm i've grown up in this environment that has made me different than you know if i was around people all the time i think that's also maybe something that uh you know our our team did differently is that when we were uh when we were coming of age uh in the game you only knew people because you met them in real life like the only way you connected like on myspace or facebook was because you saw somebody at at an event you talked to them and then you added them on, like you sent them a friend request. There was no like, back then there was no Facebook groups, right? There was no, that wasn't a thing. Uh, so, so like the most of the time when you when you talk to people uh, or most of the people who would talk ab- about you, I want to say had had some kind of direct impression of you. And it was, it was either that or it was somebody completely removed from you, like outside of your social circle. So like a lot of people had like really positive impressions because they were able to talk to you. And that's also what made you prioritize being a decent human being and not just being a scumbag because you can, or because like I, you, I don't know. The other, the other part of this that's toxic is I, I, I fail to see any correlation between your playing ability or your ability to play the game and, and whether or not you are in fact a better person than someone else. So like that somebody would ever correlate those things or treat people like that, like that they like, just because they are better than somebody else or they're worse than somebody else, like treat them in any way different or less than as a human being. That is anathema to me. I, I, I 
And I feel like that's, uh, that's not a thing that most people I meet now on the internet kind of mm -hmm. feel. I feel like most people kind of correlate skill level with respect they have for another person as a human being. And it's like, Whoa, those, those things shouldn't have anything to do with each other. Uh, <laughs> and and I, 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 I don't know, maybe, maybe I have this backwards, maybe because I, I mean, I've also benefited from it. People think highly of me, but they don't even know me. Uh, people, and it's, it's because they just see my name like on metagame a lot or something like that. And it's just mm -hmm. like, uh, nah, man, you really, that's the wrong way to do it. Or maybe it's because, because I'm in the position I am that I feel that way because I, I don't think you should admire people solely because they play well or do well. That's, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Well, I think like, you know, online presence, I think was, is a lot more accessible now it is than I think it was before. I mean, but before we just have like forums, we could hide behind, you know, like a, a username or whatnot. But of course, like people would know it in the end. Like we know, we I knew you as always as like, OD right. Superman, that's, that's which, the other thing. Is, which was like, that's oh, the other thing too, by the way, on forums, there was something about that. I don't know what it was, but there's something about that where it's like, I, I, and certainly no one, none of my team, none of like, none of us registered as random user one and like, you know, talk smack about other people. Just be like, I wasn't, I wasn't about <laughs> to like trash talk the Canadians, like on duels grounds or, or Pojo or something like that never happened. It was always like, here's my yeah. username. You will know who I am. And you know why? Because I'm so egotistical that I'm putting all my Shona jump tops and my signature. And it's like we owned our presence online. Whereas like nowadays it's like, if you don't have five alt usernames on a discord channel or something like that, you're in a minority. Like now most people have like uh, so many different online personalities. that It's just like, Oh, I don't want anyone to know it's me. Cause then for reasons, I don't know. I, I don't, it's a weird world, man. It's, I, I like how you pressed on that because like, you know, I, I didn't think of it until now, but like, you know, we had a, on forums, like we would have signatures where we could put all our credentials in one spot. But nowadays, when we look at our Facebook, we can't put our Yu-Gi-Oh credentials in our spot. Well, I mean, we could, but yeah. I mean, that's not. But it's not like visibly accessible unless someone decides to actually like actively look into it, like click right. on the name, as opposed to we were seeing a forum. It's like, oh, it's right there below. I can just yeah. see it. Yeah, I, 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 that's. I, I guess I could take that into account. I, I never thought of it that way before, but I, I like that point that you raised about that one. And I don't know if that has like, it makes a difference in like behavior, like coming towards you or not, but it's definitely something that I'm, I'm intrigued about that you touched up on. Yeah. It's, it's, I think about this every once in a while, but I've never also, I've never really gone too much. In. This is the deepest I've ever gone to it. <laughs> another person. That, 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 that's fair. It, it's just, it's just a funny thought that that just trails over your mind for like a minute and then just kind of move on with your life it's not like that important but it is just kind of funny just to think about for for just yeah, a I minute that's yeah, it oh man chris i as expected this has been a pretty like fun and also intellectual conversation as pretty much every single conversation i've had with you has been like on a big intellectual level. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, I, I really enjoyed having oh, you. Oh man, listen, uh, it was an honor uh, to even be asked to join. Uh, and it's been my privilege uh, to have this conversation with you. This is a great thing that you're doing. Uh, I, I listened to uh, a lot of your episodes so far. I like what you're doing. I hope you keep, mm -hmm. keep doing it. Uh, I, I'd like this kind of content and I wish more people did it. I re really appreciate the kind words. And, you know, I want to do this podcast because I wanted to bring uh 
kind of a, a, prof, a, prof, a level of professionalism, first of all, to Yu-Gi-Oh! Because, you know, again, I always toot this all the time, but like, I'm a fully legit journalist. And I thought, let's bring a real aspect of, of journalism into, into Yu-Gi-Oh! Not, not trying to put any disrespect on anybody else, but uh, I don't know any other person that's a, that's a legit journalist and it's in the game. I know there are people that write for the game and do such a great job, like Jason Grabermeyer, fantastic person, love being around him, love talking to him, and he's a great writer as well. I don't know if he's gone to school for journalism. I don't think so. But you know, you get what yeah. I mean in, in this. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not just goofing off, right? It's not just like you're you're sitting here and you're you're trying to pass time. Like you're trying to do something that uh, you're you're bringing personalities to players at large in a way that I don't think, uh, and particularly now, uh, the environment, the Yu-Gi-Oh environment, sort of uh, naturally does. Like you're going, you're kind of going against the grain to put put a more of a spotlight on people and and i think i appreciate that and it also i think it humanizes a lot of us especially with uh triff like you said like i listened to that podcast and i had the same impression you had and i listened to that and i still have that impression but i also think that he's more of a person now in a way that i didn't think before so i think that i think you're doing a service like humanizing a lot of the people on your podcast yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to do because we know we, we can know so much about a person when it comes to them at Yu-Gi-Oh, but we don't know about a person, you know, as them as an actual person because we all have lives outside of Yu-Gi-Oh, just just like you, just like myself, you know, and that's why I kind of wanted to bring to the table as well is like really dive deep into something about a person that uh, you may have not never known, and I thought like you know me being a real journalist is what's going to help uh, kind of set me apart from everybody else. It's like for example. Ellen DeGeneres on a talk show as opposed to Larry King on CNN. Like one is one's like for entertainment. One is meant for actual journalism, like trying to get into the heart of things, you know? And that, that's, that's what I kind of see myself as I'm here for like the actual hard hitting journalism to really dive deep as opposed to there, just trying to attempt to entertaining a crowd. Like I want to feed somebody intellectually as in this game rather than just to just to make them laugh even though i'm a big comedy guy myself but that's not what this podcast is about but we're here to have a fun conversation that's what this well, is you know about. what listen larry king i appreciate what you're doing i think you're killing it and 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 oh. I, like i said I, i'm i'm really honored that you asked me to, to join you and it's it's been a i've had a great time I, and i appreciate you coming on i'm glad you had a great time as well it was i knew it was a matter of time that i was going to have you on it's like when i get a legacy player in I know I can I can talk to Chris and I, you know the thought of me came in about a couple of nights ago. Messaged you at like three a.m. I'm like I gotta <laughs> message him now before I forget. So sorry if I woke you up at that part, but I just had to get it out. But again, Chris, thank you so much for coming out of the podcast. Uh, anyone you want to give a shout out to before we? Uh, go? You know what? The uh, first and foremost, my girlfriend Nicole. She's awesome. Y- you are you are all. Uh, at the disadvantage of never having known her. Uh, she's, she's awesome. She's beautiful. She's lovely. Second, my dog, Leia. She can't understand what I'm saying right now, but she's also awesome. You also, all, you're all, again, at the disadvantage of not knowing her. Uh, the people you will know, uh, Overdose. Everyone on Overdose, uh, even Paul. Uh, I love you all. Thank you for life. <laughs> all right. That is Christopher Paravic multiple SJC YCS topper among one of the members of one of the biggest teams in Yu-Gi-Oh history. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great night. You too, buddy. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more information. Check out the gate expectations podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, and Spotify. Mm -hmm.